Hello and welcome to LSHTM Viral, a new podcast from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Our knowledge on the novel coronavirus is evolving every day. We're here to bring you the latest evidence on spread, control and safety of the virus directly from our experts. Hello, I'm James Barr from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. The COVID-19 pandemic is spreading rapidly and countries are responding with astonishing control measures from shutting borders to asking citizens to self-isolate. A few weeks ago, we spoke to Adam Kacharski, a member of the team of infectious disease modellers at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, conducting research into COVID-19. We are very pleased that Adam has found some time to join us again today. Adam, hi, thanks very much for joining us again. I know you guys are incredibly busy. Um, What is life like for you and your colleagues at the moment? Apart from my team and I contacting you guys every other minute. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on. We're looking at a whole range of aspects of coronavirus, as well as trying to look at various scenarios for the current situation. There's a lot we're trying to fill in in terms of understanding transmission dynamics in different settings, obviously how things are changing in Europe at the moment, trying to get a better handle on aspects of severity, things like fatality rates, how that might be changing. And then also, you know, broadening out and looking at the kind of situation in other settings, we're seeing different control measures, different options in various places. So I think understanding what effect that's having on, on transmission is, is really going to be key. And just um, on the different measures that you, you mentioned that you are trying to help estimate estimate the best control methods, uh, the response to COVID-19 in the UK has evolved rapidly over the last sort of seven days. Can you take us through that? Yes, there's, there's been this, this really quick, quick ramping up in terms of what's going on, I think. Probably over the last few days, I think the communication in in some respects hasn't really been helpful in in terms of explaining exactly what the logic of what's going on. But I mean, our group... Is that that sort of herd immunity? Yeah. Over the the weekend, it was a a big, it was, um, you know, really hit the headlines of the weekend. I I mean, I'm not involved in the direct decision making. I think that's that's one thing that's worth kind of clarifying is that, you know, we are one of many modelling groups who who explore scenarios and and sort of present those to, to a series of kind of government groups that can then... As, as, a, as a kind of evidence base to make policy decisions on. So I'm not aware of the exact discussions that drove those, but certainly in all of our modelling, the priority has been finding a way to to ensure that the impact on the NHS is minimised, but also find a way to do that in a sort of a scenario that's as sustainable as possible. We know that, for example, the early interventions in Wuhan had a huge impact on reducing transmission. Our analysis at the start of February showed that and anticipated that we'd see a decline, even when the data had a lot of uncertainty in it. But of course, that's a really dramatic intervention. So we still need to explore what different types of of measure and what combination of measures might be most effective at reducing transmission, while also ensuring that we don't have a situation where potentially people are shutting their houses for, for months, if not a year or two. These are these are incredibly difficult decisions, aren't they, Adam? Um, I mean, there's a lot of criticism of the UK government at the moment, perhaps not being quite well uh, in line with what other countries are doing. But it, it, there's no one size fits all approach to this, is there? There's not, and and there's no easy solution here either. There's there's a number of trade offs, and I think fundamentally, a lot of countries, the UK, Europe, US, are, are in a very similar position in that we know these really stringent lockdown measures work and they, they work in part because the virus can transmit mild symptoms, pre-symptomatic transmission. It makes it very hard to, to sort of pick up all the cases. We know that in countries like Singapore, Korea, this really intensive 
contact tracing testing has worked, but we also know that in, in Europe that, that has failed so far um, to stop outbreaks. So we have this, this tool that we know works, this kind of lockdown measure, but because this is a pandemic, um, we're facing a situation where transmission could continue for, for a very long time, potentially until we get a vaccine. And so I think countries that are, are now announcing two-week or three-week shutdowns aren't fully communicating the, the, the complete picture there because anything that, that goes in, you know, unless we can improve our testing capacity and, and find better ways of controlling it, um, we're really going to be in this for the long haul. But it's a marathon, not a, not a sprint, isn't it? It really is. And that's one of the, the, the toughest things we found over the last few weeks of, of modeling different scenarios. You know, we've known really since early February that what China did had a dramatic reduction in transmission. But we also know it's been very difficult for China to maintain that. And we estimated at the end of January, about 95% of Wuhan are still susceptible, uh, which means that if those measures are lifted and people go back to normal life, um, there's a very real risk of a new outbreak. We, we estimated with those kind of transmission dynamics, once you get about four independent introduction of infection into that population, you'll, you'll probably get a sustained outbreak occurring again. So if everyone goes back to normal life, it's going to be really hard. To, to keep this from, from causing another outbreak. And so every country is, is, is just facing this really tough trade-off of, of we have something that works, but it's very hard to do long-term. And we very rapidly, I think, need to find a way of, of living with this and, and making something you know, work potentially over the foreseeable future. And in the UK, the, the strategy, we hear a lot from Boris Johnson, from uh, Chris Whitty, the Chief Medical Officer, it's about flattening the curve. Can you just... Just explain to us once again what that means. The notion of flattening the curve, and I think it's probably better described actually from, from the situation we're facing, it's probably flattening the curves, because we, what we, we don't want is a huge rise in transmission in situations we've seen in Italy where healthcare very quickly becomes overwhelmed. So we have to reduce transmission as much as we can to flatten that curve, to, to smooth over the amount of transmission that happens over time. Is that what it means, Adam? Sorry, yeah, flatten sorry. the curve um, means smooth, yeah, so smooth out the transition. Flatten, flatten the curve is going to a situation where you have this really rapid rise in cases and this, this high peak that's going to overwhelm the health system. And you take measures to get the level of infection over time as low as possible so that the, the cases that are coming in don't overwhelm your, your health care. And, and for the UK, uh, the government strategy is flatten the curve in terms of making sure there's as, as little burden on the NHS as possible during peak the, during the peak of the epidemic. Is that right? And uh, basically saving lives, but protecting the vulnerable. Is that how you see it? Yes, I think, and certainly over the last couple of days, the strategy has ramped up. And that's always been things over, over the last few weeks we've been considering, and many other groups have been considering in models, these more dramatic interventions. And it is this really difficult situation because there are measures, things like strict self-isolation at home, you know, quarantining of households, these, these measures can, can reduce transmission on their own and they're not too destructive on the wider population. But the problem is there's evidence that they, they don't increase transmission enough, or certainly with the capacity we have currently in this country, they don't reduce transmission enough to completely control the outbreak. So you need these more disruptive measures to come in to, to ensure that the NHS won't get overwhelmed. But then it's this balance because, of course, you're really asking people to, to fundamentally change their behaviour. And really that idea that, that I think some people have that this is a matter of a two-week shutdown and then we'll go back to normal and it'll all be solved, 
is is not the case at all. And whatever we do from, from this point on for the next few months, we're, we, we've got these two conflicting objectives, really. And, and obviously, the priority has to be making sure the NHS isn't overwhelmed, the people who have care can get it. But we're very much in uncharted territory in terms of the, the, the strain it's going to put on all of us to change our lives in a way that means that this is achievable. And you mentioned the, the modelling work that you and our LSHCM, an amazing team of modellers, and obviously we also forget that other modellers at different institutions, everyone's working incredibly hard. What's been your strategy in terms of publishing uh, the estimates that you've been developing? We've worked very hard to get as much out in the public domain as we can. So we're, we're obviously using preprint servers, but we quickly worked out that wasn't fast enough for us because it takes about four or five days to get stuff up in preprints. And we, we, we decided we want to get analysis out essentially as soon as it was ready. And so we've got a website repository that we've been running, you know, really since, since mid-January on this. And we've published, you know, everything from estimates of, of transmission in Wuhan. We've now got real-time estimates of transmission across Europe, across multiple countries, estimation of, of who's pre-symptomatic, um, estimation of um, things like uh, the role of changing in social behaviour, um, working with my colleague uh, Petra Klepak and, and colleagues at the University of Cambridge. We fast-tracked release of a lot of social mixing data for the UK. So this is really detailed insights into different age groups and where they have interactions and, and what... Uh, reduction in transmission, different kind of interventions might have based on that really high resolution data. So we've we've really been working to put a lot out there. And I think it's always worth bearing in mind that there's not a single model that drives um, policy or decision making. It's actually all of this analysis that's been going on in our group and around the world, you know, fantastic data sharing. That has made a lot of these decisions slightly easier. There's obviously a lot of key unknowns still that make it tough to know exactly what's going to happen uh, with regards to a particular control measure. But you know, having that, that data out there as soon as possible, we feel is incredibly important to ensure that, that everyone can make the best decision they can in, in what's uh, an incredibly tough circumstance. You mentioned the unknowns about, about the coronavirus. What if, if you were to be able to know one thing about this new virus, what would it be? What would it help you in your job? I think the, the one thing that would be really useful in the short term is getting a better handle on the contribution of transmission um, from all the different circumstances and routes and interactions that might happen. So, so one example is the role of children. We know that children can get infected. It's not clear they're symptomatic and they don't seem to get infected as a high rate as they would for something like flu. Flu, there, there seems to be a lot more infection in kids. And so based on that, it, it doesn't look like something like school closures would put as big a dent in the outbreak as it, as it would for something like a, a flu epidemic. But then there's other interactions, you know, things about workplace. And, and we estimated we had a piece a few weeks ago on close-knit interactions that suggested high transmission risk during those. But if we could really narrow down those interactions and settings that were really disproportionately risky, then that might give us clues about how we could focus our strategy a bit more in terms of the targeting. Because at the moment, we've identified things like self-isolation, things like household quarantine that you know, we know can reduce transmission. Intuitively, that makes sense because people who are self-isolating wouldn't transmit in the way that they would have otherwise. But those, those need to be made more efficient. I think there's technological developments, you know, having better testing and, and having ability to to do a serological test and work out who's been infected and who's got some immunity would be really useful. 
But I think the more we can target our measures and you know and move away from this this broad lockdown, which currently is, is the tool, tool we've got to rely on, and, and move towards something where people can uh, have some element of normal routine coming back in, but still preventing those transmission events. I think that's that's the key thing we need to work out. How how we know if any countries control measures have worked? Typically, we see a bit of a lag between control measures going in and the impact, in part because you have this delay from people to show symptoms, delay for cases. And in many countries, you only see cases uh, appear at the more severe end of the spectrum. So you potentially get a lag of a week or two before a control measure goes in and the delay. So we're, we're tracking, for example, at the moment, we today put some new analysis out um, for Italy. And we, we have seen a, a bit of reduction in transmission over the last week or two. It doesn't seem to be fully under control, so those, that sort of transmission hasn't gone through the, the kind of crucial threshold that suggests the epidemic is going to decline. But because of the timing of the measures, we wouldn't necessarily expect to be at that stage yet. Uh, but I think what's going to be key is working out the amount that's knocked out of transmission. And you know, if, if it's the case that these measures that are really severe have a really big effect on transmission, that suggests that we should be able to dial back a bit and find a middle ground that still uh, prevents the virus sustainably transmitting in the population, but we don't have to go to the extreme of really shutting down everything. Yeah, because success obviously is not just about this outbreak or epidemic, it's about how big will that the potential for the next epidemic be in that country. So you, how do you measure that success if there could be another epidemic? Yeah, and I think the, um, the really tough thing is, is this, I mean, this idea of, of herd immunity is, I think, very badly communicated in a lot of really unhelpful discussion around that. For most epidemics, you know, eventually, especially many people get infected, that, that some populations build some element of immunity that prevents transmission. We obviously don't know for this pathogen exactly how long that immunity would last. And to get to that point would require you know, an incredibly long time if we're trying to prevent the NHS being overwhelmed. So really, I think the only scenario I can see playing out over the next couple of years is we have to use these quite dramatic control measures, these social distancing measures, probably for you know, two or three months at a time. Maybe we can ease off a little bit in between. Uh, but we're going to have to find ways of, of adopting some of the measures that have worked for, for a fairly long period of time in places like Singapore and Korea um, and seem to be suppressing transmission and adapt those and make those even more effective so we can ensure that you know, people who are at risk of transmitting, we can, we can ensure are isolated, we can ensure their contacts are quarantined, but, but the majority of other people can resume some element of their routine without having that risk of exposure. And eventually, Adam, to stop this and to protect ourselves, our friends and family and keep them safe, it's up to us individuals as much as anything, isn't it? Uh, it is. It, it's really on all of us. I think there's been a lot of focus on top level, kind of simple interventions. People are saying, well, why don't we close schools for a couple of weeks or cancel mass events? And I think people really need to realise that that will not stop this. Um, it may well delay it very slightly. But it's really on all of us to, to, if we get ill, follow the guidance, self-isolate for a couple of weeks, make sure your household do the same, uh, and really think about your interactions. Because even if you're in a group where your infection is mild, the person you give it to, the person they give it to, the person they gave it to, give it to, somewhere along the line, uh, that chain of transmission is going to hit someone really hard and someone's going to end up in ICU. 
very ill. And so I think everything we can do to avoid being part of that chain of transmission and having that knock-on effect on others, that's really got to be the priority at the moment. Yeah, as you said, in uncharted waters, got our fingers crossed for how things are going to play out for everyone across the globe. And thanks so much for joining us um, and carry on the good work, you and your team. Thanks a lot. Okay, cheers. Thank you. Stay safe, healthy and look out for each other. And we'll be back soon with another episode of LSHTM Viral. As COVID-19 continues to spread worldwide, LSHTM staff are working tirelessly to help combat the pandemic. Our researchers have been working overtime to try and understand the disease while working with us to communicate responsibly to the public. However, we need support so our researchers can continue their real-time response. With your help, we can increase understanding, improve the global response efforts, and ensure that the latest insights are effectively communicated. To make a donation, please visit our website, lshtm.ac.uk forward slash coronavirus, and all funds are going to be used to support LSHTM's response to COVID-19. Thank you again for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of LSHTM Viral.